Hello. Welcome and thank you for joining us and listening to our podcast, The God Beyond the Bible. Our podcast is released weekly each Friday. The content of each episode is based on the questions and curiosities we all have about God and the Bible. Many of our topics are considered taboo in the minds of the mainstream church. You will find our discussions to be, I think, refreshing and often far from traditional. But we don't just skirt around these complex issues, but confront them head on, and not in the way you're used to hearing them discussed on typical Christian talk shows. I'm Alan Rowland, creator and host of The God Beyond the Bible. As of the launch of this podcast, I've been a pastor for more than 35 years. My co-host is my daughter, Trayson, and our engineer, co-producer, is my daughter, Tabitha. Our mission is to encourage our audience, along with us, to open our minds to the reality that God is simply too big to be fully explored or experienced by the reading and studying of a single ancient work. In short, the Bible's not the sum of God, and to think this is to limit what He has done, is doing, and what He will do in our future. So with introductions made, thank you for listening, and let's dive into the topic of the day. Welcome, Seekers, to the podcast, God Beyond the Bible, a podcast made by Seekers and for Seekers. As always, thanks for giving us a listen. That's the only compensation we receive for our efforts here at God Beyond the Bible, and that is definitely pay enough for us. You, the listener, are the main reason we do this, coupled with the fact that you are likely never going to hear most of these topics discussed with with an objective perspective, especially in the local church. All right, and for shout-outs today, we've got Tato and Ezra. We've really enjoyed talking back and forth with you guys. And we have an on-air question for Dad. Okay, yeah, why is it always for me? Let's, <laughs> let's, let's go, with the, go well, with the question. this question is from Shay Hill. Okay. And she says, did John the Apostle get told by Jesus he could live until the second coming of Christ? And if so, does that mean he's still among us today? Says my uncle and I debate this from time to time. Well, uh, I should have probably looked and give you a specific scripture, but it's at the end of the Gospel of John, I think. And uh, I'll just look. I Actually, I usually don't have my Bible here, but I do have it here for another reason. And uh, let me let me tell you what I think she's probably talking about. Sure. She's probably talking about when Peter was... Uh, Jesus was telling Peter, remember the passage of Peter? Do you love me? Feed my sheep. You love mm-hmm. me? Feed my lambs. Mm-hmm. Feed me. All right. And then Jesus gave Peter some kind of a little uh, cryptic deal, said, when you're a young man, you're going to go where you want to go and travel the way you want to travel yeah. and go where you like to go. When you're an old man, you're going to be taking places you don't want to go. Now, I'm paraphrasing here, and I think this is what we're talking about. And uh, then, so after Peter received this, this is the risen Lord Jesus talking to him. So Uh this is at the end of probably the book of John. I'm not sure. But anyway, uh, uh, Peter turns after Jesus tells him what's going to happen to him. And Peter says, well, what's going to happen to John? He really said, pointed to the the apostle whom Jesus loved and said, what's going to happen to him? And Jesus said, if I want to, if it's my will, he could live till I return. However, what is that to you? That's none of your business. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Right. That's not anything you need to be worrying about. And so, and it even says in the text right there, so it became a legend that John would live till Jesus returned. Okay. 
Okay, I guess I had just never that I found that question. Was I in the right place, Teddy? It was. It's in John chapter twenty-one in the New Living Translation, verse twenty-three, twenty-two, and twenty-three says, "Jesus replied, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? (laughs) As for you, follow me." So the rumor spread among the community of believers that this disciple wouldn't die, but that isn't what Jesus said at all. He only said, "If I want him to remain alive until I return." What is that to you? So that so I John hope that, tried to clear it up to uh, the best of his yeah, ability. Yeah, and, and well. so I hope that kind of clears up. Now that kind of says to me, I'm just going to say that John was because since that was John writing mm-hmm. that Jesus was talking about, you know. And so anyway, but but let's just go ahead and say uh, Shay is that who? yes. Let's go ahead and say Shay. If Jesus wanted him to live till he returned, he could have. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not saying he couldn't do that; that that couldn't happen. But I just have never. Thought I just always assumed that Peter was just saying, "Well, you give me a bunch of bad news. What do you? What's, right. what's going to be the future for this exactly. guy?" Exactly. <laughs> okay. Okay, and we appreciate questions. Sure. Anytime sure. you have them, let us know. Um, last episode, we barely scratched the surface on the topic of ego. Our goal is to just plant the seed. There's great personal benefit in reining in our ego, not the least of which is living a life that is not controlled by public opinion. And somebody's out there saying, wouldn't that be nice? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) If you decide to explore and battle ego and the complications of life that come from it, there are plenty of resources on the topic, some very good and some maybe not. There are a lot of blogs, podcasts, and YouTube channels dedicated to this topic. Um, do y'all have any particular experts that you found we to be mentioned helpful? We Tolle or Tolle. Yeah, Eckhart, Eckhart Tolle is one Eckhart, of my favorites. Eckhart, E-K-H-A-R-T-T-O-L-L-E, uh-huh. I think mm-hmm. is the That's way correct. he is. And YouTube, lots. But, you, I mean, there are some others that are really good, just four-minute, five-minute excerpts that you can just there go are. through. YouTube's like just, the... just filled with it. I like the Ecumenal Buddhist Society. As funny as that sounds, they have everyday teachings for people of ways that you can incorporate mindfulness and conquering the ego in your everyday life. And they have some really good videos. Okay. Okay. So on today's podcast, number 35, it's going to be dedicated to the topic of baptism. Another listener suggestion. Thank you, Charles. Charles. (laughs) All right, Charles. So here in segment one, what is baptism? And where does the concept originate? Well, let's get a couple of definitions. Let's start with the secular definition of baptism. In the Christ, this is a, just a defi- defining, mm-hmm. like a dictionary. In the Christian church, the religious rite of sprinkling water onto a person's forehead or of immersion in water, symbolizing purification or regeneration and admission into the Christian church. In many denominations, baptism is performed on young children as it accompanied by name giving. Okay, the Christian definition varies with denomination, but generally speaking, it is a symbolic act representing the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, also representing the death and burial of the old person we used to be, and the resurrection of our own new life and walk, and also a public act of commitment to our faith in Christ. So where did baptism start? I mean, generally speaking, there are no references to baptism outside the New Testament, In other words, as far as we know, no one practiced baptism before John the Baptist came on the scene. And you did mention something about that the Israelites practiced some kind of baptism. Yes. uh, But it was it was in in a it was in a uh, 
wasn't the bar mitzvah. What, what is it that they did? <laughs> That's all I can think of. Mikvah. M-I-K-V-E-H is the you word. Mikvah. You got to go. Yes. <laughs> but the act itself was actually called Tivla. T-V-I-L-A-H. And you can read about it in the Mishnah Torah, which is actually part of the oral Torah that's been written down. Mm-hmm. But it says, Every place the Torah speaks of washing of flesh and laundering of clothing to purify, nothing other than immersing the entire body in a mikvah is meant. And a mikvah is a pool of water. Preferably, the preference is always for living water, for a river or a stream, yeah. something that's flowing. Mm-hmm. But if it is something like a tub outside or a pool outside that's man-made, you have it has to be at least 300 liters, which sounded really big to me until I realized that's only about 80 gallons. Yeah. <laughs> and you can't draw the water. It can't be pulled out of a well or from another water source. That's it has natural. to fall from the sky. Natural. Well, and so that seemed like a long answer there, but I want Tracy to get that in because... Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, it seems that since they're referring to the Torah and saying this is what the Torah said, they may be practicing this baptism, uh-huh. and we don't know anything about it. Right. We just don't well, have any writing about it. There was, there had to have been something similar, in my personal opinion. Otherwise, I mean, nobody was sitting there going, what's John doing? What does he mean by that? It's true. Yeah. And where do we get to? Is that me? Right. Uh, however, there is one obscure passage written by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 and 2 that read, I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. All of them were guided by a cloud that moved ahead of them, and all of them walked through the sea on dry ground. Now, verse 2 says, In the cloud and in the sea, all of them were baptized as followers of Moses. I have never noticed that before. I haven't either, and I really couldn't find. I went through the websites I have that take me back into the Torah and the oral Torah and things like that, and I couldn't find anything. Hmm, and I'll go this. ahead. It seemed that Paul's speaking in symbolism here. Sure. Based on the historical text we do have, we don't have any account of literal baptism being performed in the wilderness on the Hebrew people who were led to freedom out of Egyptian bondage. So we can't know for sure. But Paul seemed to be using the word baptism or to be baptized as a figurative symbol of people being committed to this new life under Moses' leadership. That's right. all. I, that's just my guess. Right. And this would be a good time to point out that Paul made another statement about baptism that we're not able to explain. Yeah, biggie. Also found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 29, and it reads, If the dead will not be raised, what point is there in people being baptized for those who are dead? Why do it unless the dead will someday rise again? What? I, mean, I know. <laughs> yeah, that's, I'm, I'm telling you, that's well, always been a, for me, you know, that's been a verse that every time I read it, it's like, what? Yeah. And nobody talks about it. No. You just kind of pretend that one doesn't exist. <laughs> yeah. So again, as far as we're aware, we have no real history of people being baptized for the dead. But as perplexing as this concept is to our God-in-the-box theology, It seems that some group in the early church, possibly the Corinthian believers, were being vicariously baptized for people who were already dead and gone. And Paul seems to be aware of it and doesn't take a negative stand by condemning the practice. No, I mean, he just says, why else are you doing that? Yeah. 
And that was just the only place that, that we can find. So it said that the Mormons, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, still practice vicarious baptism or baptism of the dead. Did you find anything? Just that they do. Well, it's, they not, do. Baptism, um, yeah. it's not baptism of the dead. It's baptism for the for dead. <laughs> it's like, I mean, it's basically uh, baptism by proxy. Yeah. There, word, my word, bad. word Nazi. Yeah. <laughs> Baptism by proxy. <laughs> okay, is that what it's called? Basically, yeah. Okay. And, and they still do that, right? Yes. Okay. Uh, these are things we just cannot know. There are those who take an absolute opposite position on what Paul said and claim that he was condemning the practice. I'm not sure how you get that out of one line in a letter. No. The reality is baptism is another one of those subjects that seems to come as much or more from tradition as it does from the actual known practice of the rite. As far as we can conclude on the origin of baptism, it must at least say that the Christian we must at least say that the Christian practice is based on early gospel accounts of John baptizing on the Jordan River. But these people being baptized at this point in time couldn't have been baptized representing Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection because Jesus' public ministry had not even begun at this time. Huh. And with that thought, we'll end segment one. We'll regroup and momentarily return with segment two on the topic of baptism. Welcome back, Seekers, to episode 35 of God Beyond the Bible. Today's topic is baptism. So in segment one, we presented both the (laughs) secular and Christian definitions of baptism and explored a couple of statements the Apostle Paul made concerning baptism that are just unexplainable. And in this segment, we want to ask the question of what it was that the Jewish folks were uh, coming out to be baptized by John. uh, let Let me start this again. What it was that the Jewish folks who were coming out to be baptized by John were being baptized for, and how prominent was the role of this ritual in early church history? Right. Well, one thing is for sure, just like many other things the New Testament seems to lead us to do, we seem to have the directive, but no clear outline on how to do it. In other words, we have the directive without procedure, if you will. In short, we are compelled to practice baptism Yet we have no clear instructions on when, where, or how to perform this rite. Other things that fit into this category would be observing the Lord's Supper. Mm -hmm. We're given directive to observe, but no real cut and dried procedure for it. Not even how, where, when, or how often. And you know, this is amazing. Those are two things that people will fight over. That's what I was They'll just thinking. They'll fight over yeah. how you do the Lord's Supper and how you do baptism, and we just don't have How can enough. we argue if we don't really know? Yeah, well, it, it, we're arguing tradition. Yes, we're ar- exactly We're right. arguing tradition is what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Okay, we seem to have the clearest directive on baptism from what is known in Christian circles as the Great Commission. One might be surprised to learn that only Matthew and Mark conclude their Gospels with this commission from our risen Lord to go into all the world proclaiming the Gospel and baptizing. Mark reads like this, Mark 28, 16 through 20. Matthew. Matthew, I'm sorry. I was thinking of Mark. I was already That's thinking okay. ahead. Matthew reads like this. Thanks for the correction. Uh-huh. Uh, 28, 16 through 20. Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Then the 11 disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Now this is resurrected Lord, mm-hmm. of course, again. When they saw him, 
they worshiped him, but some of them doubted. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Mark's ending in Great Commission statement in Mark 16, 15 through 18 is somewhat different and has been the basis for controversy for ages, some denominations using it to say that baptism is essential to salvation. As for why Mark's ending is controversial, is that it's that there are some early manuscripts that end Mark's gospel at chapter 16, verse 8. Most Bibles will at least add a footnote stating that the ending for Mark is different in different manuscripts, pointing to the theory that verses 9 through 20 could have been added later on. And and I want to tell you guys something else while we're talking about this, mm-hmm. and don't everybody get all up in there. But the story of the woman caught in the act of adultery, if you look in your Bible, mm-hmm. there's some of the manuscripts didn't include that either. I can believe that. Okay. Uh, Mark 16, 15 through 18 reads, Go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved, but anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. These miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. They will cast out demons in my name. They will speak in new tongues and languages. They will be able to handle snakes with safety, and they drink anything poisonous, it won't hurt them. They will be able to place their hands on the sick, and they will be healed. So one might see how Mark's ending might be interpreted to say that baptism is essential to salvation. Others argue that this passage actually offsets that claim when it concludes the statement with anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. And he didn't mention believe and be baptized. So that's been a, right. that's, that's where that's, uh, you know, he said anyone who believes and is baptized is saved. Mm-hmm. He that doesn't believe, believe is lost okay. is so i so that's why you see how the argument comes in yeah, they say, well, hey, so it could say either. you could interpret it either, either way, way fairly if we're going to be fair well, about it i mean it's a little strange don't you think that all the controversies over the baptism <laughs> statement but you don't hear anyone questioning the salvation of people who after believing still aren't able to speak other languages <laughs> aren't impervious to snake bite and poison and they don't you know, they can't lay their hands on a sick person and heal them, all just because they believe and are baptized, as implied by Mark. And uh, and let me say, I'm going to take the stand of Wendy Bagwell uh-huh. on the snake handling, uh-huh. and that is that, I think it was, uh, oh, I can't think of what the woman's was, Geraldine was the woman that always traveled around, might have been his wife, I don't know, and, uh, they, you know, he told the story about the snake handling, they went to the church and they snake handling uh-huh. and said, one of the ladies said, uh, 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 said, if the Lord told you to pick up that snake? You mean you wouldn't do it? And uh, Wendy Bagwell answered it and said, yes, ma'am, I would, but he didn't, and I ain't. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, uh, and I want to give you another little scripture here out of Peter while we're talking about some of these statements, and it's, uh, am I in the right place here for to do this? Yeah. Okay. All the controversy is, is, is over all of this, and I don't know why I put it right here. So, I guess I put it right here because we're going to ask, Is we were on the subject of, is baptism essential for salvation? Mm-hmm. Yes. And uh, so we looked at, you know, Mark. And and I want to read you something out of 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 through 21. Peter writes this, Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the spirit. So he went and preached to the spirits in prison. 
Those who disobeyed God long ago when God waited patiently while Noah was building his boat, only eight people were saved from drowning in that terrible flood. And that water is a picture of baptism, which now saves you. Not by removing dirt from your body, but as a response to God from a clean conscience. It is effective because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? I don't know. I mean, how do you? how is Peter comparing the flood... That killed everybody, but... I guess is that cleansing. I mean, obviously, that's what he's referring to as the cleansing of, I guess, the world in Noah's case and you as a person. So he kind of saw baptism as some kind of actual act of cleansing. Yeah. Well, well, or, was he speaking, or was he speaking spiritually? Well, I, I don't know. I can say for Steve um, in particular, because we've talked about this a lot, because... He wasn't baptized until just a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And for him, it was more than just the, well, to be honest, guys, the lackluster symbolic yeah. sort of thing that it was for me at 12 years old because sure. he was in his 40s and it was very much a washing away of his old life and feeling like he was starting over. And so let me just go ahead and ask the question. So is this, so, you know, this probably is a good place to ask the question, is baptism essential for salvation? No. And of course, this debate is clearly... <laughs> That was Tracy. Over. Podcast over. <laughs> and this debate has clearly gone on for centuries. Yeah. And as far as we know, Jesus' disciples baptized even while Jesus was alive and actively teaching during his three or so years of ministry between his baptism and crucifixion. John chapter 4 verses 1 and 2 reads, Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Verse 2 says, though Jesus himself did not baptize them, his disciples did. The interesting thing about all this is that we don't have any other details on on the baptizing uh, that was going on among the disciples and Jesus. In other words, if we didn't have this single statement in John, would we have even been aware that the disciples were baptizing during Jesus' earthly ministry? Not really, that I can think of. So as pointless as it is to say, it would have been kind of neat to have had one detailed account of baptism being performed. Even in the book of Acts, where Philip is baptizing the Ethiopian eunuch, there's not a lot of detail on how the baptism was performed other than they both went down into the water. There are many arguments on both sides of this issue, whether or not baptism is essential to salvation. In other words, If you believe but you haven't been baptized, are you really saved? Most people immediately point to the thief on the cross. He asked Jesus to remember him when he came into his kingdom. And Jesus responded, today you will be with me in paradise. Obviously there was no baptism going to take place here. And and I think that's a legitimate argument. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's legitimate. Again, one of the most pivotal passages we have is Jesus himself speaking speaking to Nicodemus in the verse we all know, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Now, no mention of believing plus being baptized. Right. And the majority of New Testament denominations do not deem baptism as essential to salvation, However, most do practice baptism either in the form of immersion or sprinkling. It's good to note that neither Luke nor John closed their gospel accounts with what is referred to as the Great Commission, which, by the way, is a title man is placed on this passage. And with that, let's conclude segment two, regroup, and return with part three.
Okay, welcome back, Seekers, to episode 35 of God Beyond the Bible. Uh, if you hear something out there that's not our air running, and you don't hear thunder today, but it is <laughs> pouring rain is outside pouring the out. studio here. Okay, today's topic is baptism. We're aware that we may answer some of the questions about baptism, but many of these answers must come from our heart. How do we feel led, and, and, and you know, how we feel led to respond to our faith, and many feel led to respond with baptism is sort of a confirmation of their faith in Jesus Christ. Right. And in this segment, we wish to just set the course in the direction of trying to understand what baptism is or means to us today. So the first hurdle to get over is to decide which we think baptism is. Is this a literal event where the water has some actual physical or spiritual effect on the person being baptized? Or is it symbolic, an actual, an act or a ritual? Look at me add those two words together. <laughs> we undertake that symbolizes or reflects an event. Well, what do you think? If one reads Mark literally, then you might think that there is some spiritual metamorphosis that occurs and the person being baptized receives supernatural abilities and powers. Yet as far as we know, few if any folks demonstrate these kinds of abilities after being baptized. I'm just... The, Pretty I mean, straightforward here. Yeah. And again, baptism seems to fall into the same category as observing the Lord's Supper. While some may believe the bread and wine literally becomes the body and blood of Christ when taken, it seems many, if not most, see this as symbolic of the body and blood of Christ, a representation of what Jesus did. I have been dying to use these two words okay. since we started this podcast. Okay. okay. Transubstantiation versus contransubstantiation. Oh my goodness, and what, what do those $5 words mean? Transubstantiation is people who believe that it literally becomes the blood and the body of Christ. Uh -huh. And contransubstantiation are people who believe that it's symbolic. Hmm. I learned those words about five years ago, and I've never gotten to use them. <laughs> oh wow, here you go. You're number four now. So it seems that many, if not most, view baptism in this light. It's symbolic, a ritual that points to and reflects our belief in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and as said earlier, may also represent the death and burial of the old person and the resurrection of our new life in Christ. The truth is, it's likely that the majority of us, especially if our baptism occurred at a young age, understood little, if any, of what we were doing at the time. Did you guys? No. I didn't have a clue, to be honest. That was... We were probably either asked if we wanted to be baptized or instructed that it was our duty to be baptized and may or may not have been given an explanation and may have not even been able to understand it if one was given. Right, and I mean, I will say I knew that it was a symbol, but I also was under the impression that it was something I had to do. Does that make sense? Yeah, it yeah you, well, it's, it's implied. It seems implied yes, to us yeah. that you now, now your next step, you've stepped forward right. and made a public profession. Your next step is, and that's it, I'm, I'm talking about through the Baptist, yeah. and through right, the right. Pentecostal, some of the others that I know, the some mm -hmm. of the Protestant ones that this I know. Is, this is your public handshake with God exactly. that you need to do. And which for me, I went a couple of years between the time that I was saved and the time I was baptized. And I've kind of avoided saying saved. I'm not correcting you on what. I've went back at my life and looked and thought, you know what? I believed when I was really young. Sure. Mm -hmm. I was already a believer. Between really my confession of yeah, you're public confession yeah, of yeah, faith. Yeah, coming forward and professing. Yeah. And, and, and I think those are two different times. 
I think that public profession may follow many years Mm -hmm. after that actual faith. Am I six? No, that's me. Okay. Okay, (laughs) so we can't conclude this episode without talking about a question a lot of folks have about infant baptism, which seems to be a custom employed mainly by our Catholic friends. And I'm sure the Catholic folks understand this custom better than we do and can probably answer any questions that one may have. Um, Do you have some research on that? The biggest thing I could find is... And let me put a disclaimer. We are not qualified to answer questions for the Catholic folks by any means. If any of you who are listening... You might want to send us and tell us something about this. We would love to know. We're talking on infant baptism. Right. And everything I read, there are a few verses, um, and I'm not going to read, but Acts Acts 16.15... Acts 16.33 and 1 Corinthians 1.16 all talk about different households being baptized. As though, okay. and As I though understand the entire that. household would include children and infants. So it seems to imply that everybody was baptized. everyone bat- was baptized as one's unit. Now, there are some who believe um, Colossians 2.11 and 12 says, When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. So there are a lot of people who believe that baptism takes the place of circumcision. So it would be infant. So so that's how they looked at it. It would be done. Like the eight-day circumcision was an eight-day thing. So, so, and I'm not going to, I don't know enough about that I don't either. But those were some verses that I found that support what they believe. And as we believe here, everyone's entitled to their own belief system. If that's what you're comfortable in. That's right. So it doesn't. It does not seem that there's any evidence that this was a practice that was common in the early church. But keep in mind there are passages that allude to a lot of different customs and activities that were going on that we don't really understand today. For instance, the aforementioned passage in 1 Corinthians 15 Mm -hmm. where Paul brings up the topic of being baptized for the dead. A custom that Paul obviously felt assured his readers in Corinth would know exactly what he was talking about. But today this concept's kind of foreign and all but lost to us, except maybe continuing in the Mormon faith. So are there any other religions that practice baptism or anything close to it? Has it been adopted into Christianity from an earlier act that represented something else? If not, it would seem that this is unique to representing Christ's accomplishments. And I think Tracen has something on that. Yeah, well, I presented the mikvah to you mm-hmm. guys right. earlier from Judaism, but there were actually um, the Sikhs. And, and we're thinking all of this predates John the Baptist. I think so. At least these two, um, okay. the Sikhs, which some people call them sheiks. Okay. You've heard that they're an Arabian right? okay, okay. religious gotcha. system. Gotcha. And the Hindu people, Hindi, both have a form of baptism. And actually, Hindi is used as a cleansing and a new birth ritual huh. for coming of age. Oh, okay. So, mm-hmm. so we don't know where John got this. No. You know, John the Baptist just came on the scene baptizing, and right. people were going to him and being baptized. Uh, well, are we ready to conclude? I think, I we, think are. we are. All right. When you hear me go, that means we're ready to <laughs> conclude. <laughs> it seems to me that baptism has probably changed and evolved with the many changes and paradigm shifts the believers and followers 
of Christ have undergone in the past 2,000 years. The hard truth is, as much as you'd like to use the New Testament as an example of how to do things in the church today, there's just not enough clear and concise information on the details on such things like baptism. Mm -hmm. If you think about it, a guy from the wilderness, a Nazarite named John, came on the scene living on a diet of wild honey and grasshoppers, adorning camel hair and telling folks in the Judean territory, repent and be baptized. <laughs> but no details on exactly how or why he was making such a demand. I personally think baptism is a personal decision that should be made at the unction of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I've known people who profess believing for, well, like Tracen said, I've known people who have professed believing for a year or much more before feeling compelled to be baptized. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've witnessed deathbed professions where baptism was not possible. I have known of deathbed professions with sprinkling for water where baptism. And you said, let's just go right here. I'm going to jump in this. But you said there was a name for sprinkling and pouring water. And I didn't know there was a difference. There is. A fusion is actually pouring water over the like head. Like out of a pitcher out or something? Out of a something? pitcher, okay. yeah. And aspersion is the sprinkling of the water on the head. Now, and they think now, that that... Do, do, do. Do our Catholic friends, do they sprinkle or do they pour water? You know, I really don't know for sure. Um, well, so Charles, somebody somebody that has somebody yeah. some of this, you might tell us about this. I, I, I just don't know. So it's aspersion and infusion? Yes. And the, the aspersion, the sprinkling water, uh -huh. is believed to have derived from the necessity to baptize children and people who were sick or people who were incarcerated. So they think well, that kinda, the sprinkling came from that. And I, I know I have a Baptist friend. He's a pastor, and he did actually sprinkled a guy in his hospital bed before he died. He wanted to be baptized. Mm -hmm. So what are you going to do? Uh, did we cover that? Thought? And I think that Catholics yeah. do a mixture of all three. The, yeah. It depends on the sect. You of think maybe immersion and everything? Yes. Okay, I didn't know that. See, okay. My personal thoughts on the topic are that it's a symbolic gesture. That's my personal thought. It is a personal and public demonstration of our faith. If someone asks me about baptism, that's the answer I give. Is there benefit to baptism? There is for sure the benefit of making a symbolic statement of our faith for others to observe and a personal statement that speaks to our own heartfelt commitment. In short, I believe in being baptized. If time and health allows for it and we feel compelled to do so, do it. My personal belief is that it's not essential to salvation. Or else it is adding, if it is, it's adding something to what Jesus Christ did on the cross, mm -hmm. which was settle the sin debt. My thoughts are this. If baptism was a deal maker or a breaker, this concept would have been reiterated over and over every time the gospel was presented by Jesus or through the book of Acts. Mm -hmm. In my mind, too many people perceive that it's God's desire to somehow set up all kinds of vague traps and tricks and loopholes to keep as many people out of heaven as possible. This is not the loving Father that Jesus came and showed us as the visible image of the invisible God. That's right. So until next time, may God's grace, peace, and love be upon you and all those you love and care for from all of us here at God Beyond the Bible. Did you enjoy listening to God Beyond the Bible? Do you have an idea for an episode? Connect with us today. Visit our website at godbeyondthebible.com, all one word, or send us an email at email at godbeyondthebible.com, or you can visit us on Facebook. Just type God Beyond the Bible into the search bar.